reading this morning is from Mark chapter 2, Mark chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. Jesus forgives and heals a paralysed man. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralysed man, carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the man, the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralysed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there, thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can convince? forgive sins but God alone. Immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts and he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to the paralysed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take up your mat and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. He got up, took his mat and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone and they praised God saying, we have never seen anything like this. Thank you, Rhonda. One thing I failed to pray for and mention is I think it's important for us to recognise that there was a bill passed in New South Wales uh, this week, I think it was, the Voluntary Assisted Dying legislation. Uh, I just want you to pray into that. Um, Other states have uh, parts in that where, say, Christian nursing homes or Christian organisations can step away from the process. Uh, That's not the case in New South Wales, so uh, potentially there's an ethical... Uh, real dilemma and difficulty for for Christian uh, uh, organisations and people and, and doctors and nurses and, and care uh, assistants who are working in those kind of fields. So I just want to bring that to your attention and it'd be good for us to keep praying uh, into that. Uh, well, let me uh, pray now and we'll open up uh, this passage and have a good look at what's happening uh, here. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Uh, Thank you that it is the double-edged sword of the Holy Spirit that we come with great confidence knowing that it is given by you, by you. It is your word. And so as we open it up, Lord, we come humbly and we ask now, Lord, that you reveal your truth, that you help us to understand what you are saying to us. And while this event happened uh, thousands of years ago, it deals with one of the most existential and important questions Uh, that we will all face in our life. So I pray now, Lord, that we will be convicted and challenged by this passage, and I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thanks to Luke, I've been binging on TV for the last month or so, 
And it's with a show that Luke suggests that I start watching. Um, it's a, called Alone. Has anyone seen Alone? Uh, Luke has. Basically, it's on SBS, and, um, and it's a show where uh, they take 10 people and they find a remote area of the world and they drop them in different sections uh, with cameras. So there's no camera crew. They've got to film their own stuff in order to see who will last the longest in a survival situation. Now, they've got to be, they get a list of whatever, they, uh, whatever potential things they can take and they're allowed to take 10 items from that list. Now, I found it riveting. Yeah, I started, I watched the first one and I just could not stop watching them. It's okay, I was working as well. But I, I, it was just every spare moment I had, I just couldn't get enough of it. And as people are dumped, the very first one is in Vancouver Island, um, and they all have their, they can't see, they, they can't access each other, and they're basically just dumped there. And what come, becomes really obvious is that they have to meet their greatest needs. And it really comes down to four things there's water, fresh water, there's food, there's fire to, uh, for warmth and cooking, and, uh, and shelter. Those four things always are on the minds of the people who start. And so they've got to decide what is the most important one of those to do first. Some, some seek shelter to build their shelter. Others think I'm not going to be able to have the energy to build a decent shelter. If I don't have some food, I need to get a food source. But then the water needs to happen in the first couple of days. So you have this battle. And they go along and it's really insightful as to what our greatest needs are. But I think what I wasn't expecting in that time, uh, in that show, is, is when almost every contestant, even the most ice, even the, the, the ones that are used to being out in the bush for a long time, they all just start missing people. They need socialisation. I guess that's why they call it alone. And more often than not, even if they've found those four essential elements to survive, the loneliness gets them. And in the end, they, they tap out anyway. And it's a really fascinating experiment and insight into what humanity's greatest need is for us to live. But, you know, there's limitations. There's a finite period of time. There's a certain place and they've got a $500,000 reward at the other end to try to motivate them. But see, the, while it gives us an insight into the struggles of survival in this finite period, I guess my question is, is what about our entire life? What is our greatest need? What is your greatest need? See, I had a conversation with someone this week and I asked them that question. They're searching about Christianity. They feel like God might be calling them, things like this. And they said, but my greatest need is to provide for my, for, my, for my children. I need to just make sure I do everything I can for them. For others, it's education. I just need good education. Others, I just need a job. Others, I just need a, a, a relationship. See, what is your greatest need? And that's the question that is really posed by this passage this morning. If you remember back over the last few weeks, Jesus has began his ministry in Capernaum. 
His fame has begun spreading all across the region. Uh, last week we saw that, uh, that in Capernaum they all started looking for him. He was in an isolated place. He goes, let us go into the villages. And he embarks on his trip around the Sea of Galilee, or the region of Galilee, in order to preach the gospel. He doesn't want anyone to miss out. But then we come to chapter 2 and we're told that a few days later, so he's been out and about in the villages, but then he comes back to Capernaum. I had a picture of a loan up there. There you go. That's a loan for those who care. And then we come back to chapter 2 and we've got the first couple of verses here and we're told this. A few days later, that's after being out and about, preaching the gospel, healing, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. See, Jesus had come home. Now, he didn't really have a home. He had nowhere to lay his head, we know that. But they're saying he's come back to where he was based. He may have been in Peter's house where he's healed his mother-in-law. He may have been at someone else's house. But what we know is now that he's back, they were still ready to flock to him. And they do, they flock to him. See, what they wanted was the hope of healing. They were looking for him to meet the greatest needs. Some would have been looking for healing. Some would have been looking to witness miracles. Verse 2 tells us that so many gathered that whatever, uh, that, that whatever house he was in, there was no room left, not even outside the door. You could not get in. In today's terms, this was a super spreader event. But notice again here, just as in every instance of Mark so far in this gospel. Jesus is fulfilling the reason for which he came. We are told he is preaching the word to them. See, he hasn't primarily come to heal. He hasn't primarily to wow them with the exorcism of demons. He has come to preach the gospel to them. And we know that that gospel... Back in verses 14 and 15, or verses uh, 14 and 15 of chapter 1, the time has come, the kingdom of God is in your midst. Repent and believe the good news. I am here, he is saying. Turn your life around. Well, having set the scene, Mark introduces a particular man. As everyone's crowding into this house, suddenly it narrows onto this one man and his mates. And he introduces this guy whose greatest need is obvious. Have a look at verses 3 and 4. Some men came, bringing to him a paralysed man carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on a paralyzed man he couldn't walk was a paraplegia was it quadriplegia we don't know was it from birth 
Or was he mucking around with all these mates one day, goofing around, and an accident happened? We don't know. But it doesn't matter. What we do know, that in this culture, this man's life was completely dependent on his family and friends. There were no NDIS, no Centrelink, no modern technology to help him walk or to, to wheel him around, no chance of work, no chance of marriage if he couldn't provide for the person that he married. He was an outcast and under the law he would have been considered stricken by God. They would have looked at him as if he or maybe his parents had done something and this man has now been stricken by God. That's what we do know. But I also think that we can assume that he also had some great mates. They wanted their friend healed. These are the kind of blokes that I think we all want around us. When things are tough, they rally and they do what we need them to do. Now, we're told here that four of them carried him. Now, you've probably got a picture that there were four mates. I actually think there's a lot more going on. There's more than four mates. It just says a bunch of men, some men, and four of them were carrying him. So this might be a football team. There was probably a lot of blokes bringing this guy but we have a problem. There is no way that they are getting into their house, that house. So the only people that the crowd would make way for are those who were the most honourable, not those stricken by God. And we get a glimpse in verse 6 here where we're told some teachers of the law were sitting there. See, they would have walked straight through the crowd and sat right at the front because they were the honourable ones, not this man who was paralysed. No one wanted to know anything about him. The people would have considered him cursed. But you know what? Desperate people will do things they wouldn't normally dream of doing. Now, this guy is Aaron Ralston. You might have seen the movie 127 Hours. See, he was pinned, that's the real guy, not the actor. He was pinned by a boulder against a rock wall. He was remote, he was alone, he was never going to be found. So he amputated his own arm off with a dull knife so he could be set free. Now, I would imagine that none of us is willing to cut our arm off with a dull knife, let alone any knife. But desperate times mean you will do desperate things. And these men, they take their, ma their mate up to the roof of this house and they start digging their way through a stranger's house. See, the roof in that culture, it probably had stairs going up the side so you could get on top. It would have had beams about 60 or 90 centimetres apart going across. I'm not sure if that's a complete representation, but it's similar to that. It would have had other, uh, other sticks that were laid uh, across these timbers, uh, reeds, tree branches, thistles laid on top of that, then overlaid with 30 centimetres of dirt, packed down to be water resistant. That's a pretty thick roof to be digging through. Now, I'm guessing they didn't come prepared to dig through that roof. But I think there were probably quite a number of men who went up there. Who knows the damage that they were doing to their hands? 
but their, their mate had a need. And they would do anything because they knew that the only hope of their mate ever, ever walking again was this Jesus of Nazareth they had heard about that seemed to be healing people. Now, these weren't high ceilings. I want you to try to imagine Jesus' preaching. you got the teachers of the law sitting right at his feet. He's probably getting to his power line. Us preachers love our power line. You hear this scratching. I'm pretty sure they didn't have possums in the Middle East. Maybe they did. But I get that every night above my bed. Scratch, scratch, run, scratch, scratch. Just imagine, what is going on here? Perhaps a bit of dirt starts falling. Jesus steps back. The teachers of the law are probably screwing their faces up. After a while, they see a little bit of light poke through. I think they would have stopped and just stared. What is happening well, who is digging through the roof? What is digging through the roof? Is it an animal? The light appears, it gets bigger, they get a glimpse of these men digging. After a while, they get the hole big enough to lower their mate. They disappear for a bit and everyone's like going, okay. And they turn up with this paralysed man on a mat and they lower him through the roof. Now, I'm not saying this is a perfect representation. It gives you... It was crowded and they lower him down. See, how was Jesus going to respond to such a rude and terrible interruption? All eyes are now on him. Would he meet this man's need? See, the paralytic is lying there. No one needs to say to Jesus, are you going to heal him? Everybody knows the greatest need of this man. It's obvious. And we all know and they all knew why these men in desperation now have burrowed their way through the roof and lowered him. And I think the thick expectation and anticipation they've had to just listen to his preaching, which I'm sure was powerful, but they wanted to see a healing. They wanted to see a miracle. So what's he going to do? Well, we're told when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man's son, your sins are forgiven. Now that was unexpected. That's like walking two hours to get to Dolly Donuts because Dolly Donuts is the best donuts in the world and you get there and they give you a Subway salad. All you want is this good, nourishing, sugary, chocolatey, beautiful, vomit-invoking mess but you get a salad. In fact, it's worse than that because dollies don't have the right, the franchise or the authority to give anything on behalf of Subway. See, Jesus has been teaching with authority. He's healed with authority. He's driven demons out with authority. We've seen that week after week. But now he believes he has the authority to forgive sin. 
Nah. See, this isn't just shocking, but it's Jesus stretching a claim that we cannot turn a blind eye to. This is a claim upon himself, an authority that goes far beyond any of the sorcerers and any of the healers and anyone else that's ever walked this earth. This is shocking. And the teachers of the law, they knew their scriptures and they understood exactly what he was claiming to be. Verses 6 and 7. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? See, this is the claim we cannot turn a blind eye to. Jesus wasn't going, oh, might have overstepped the mark. See, Jesus is either the one with authority to forgive someone's sin or he is a blasphemer, which makes him a sinner. So he is either God in the flesh or he is a deluded madman who just happens to be able to heal and drive out demons who's gone too far. You cannot sit on the fence in this. You cannot go into the grey areas on this. This is the claim. He knew exactly what he was doing. And he knew exactly that he was meeting this man's greatest needs. That's why he says in verses 8 to 12, we're told immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts and he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier? To say to this paralysed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of all of them. This amazed everyone and they praised God saying, we have never, never seen anything like this. See, the miracles, the healing, the driving out of demons, well, that's all to show and to point us to Jesus has the authority to call people to repentance and faith. Remember his gospel, what he's preaching, the very reason he was to come, we were told in verse 1, is to preach the gospel, the good news, to set the captives free, to bring healing, to restore the sight of the blind to deal with people's greatest needs, but to repent and believe the good news, to turn your life around. Stop walking away from God and walk towards him. See, and this good news was all about the kingdom of God being in your midst. The king of the kingdom was here. He was here. You have to acknowledge that he is the son of God, which Mark says at the very beginning, opening line of the gospel. You cannot just say he's a good teacher. 
You cannot just say that he was such a morally upright man with great, great teaching. You cannot say that he had power, but he was just a man. Yes, he was fully human, but right here, his claim upon his life, you either have to accept it or deny it. There is no middle ground. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary, and I will give you rest. We saw from the video, I have water that you can drink that you will never be thirsty again. That very longing in your soul, that God-shaped hole in your heart, your loneliness, your suffering, your, your oppression, your paralytic reality. Well, that's what I come to meet. But that's not your greatest need, he is saying. It's not your greatest need. The mental illness, the broken relationships, the future of your children, earning income, receiving an education, buying a house, shelter, food, water, warmth, companionship, every meeting of these basic needs only provide our short-term hope if we have not dealt with our greatest need. See, what Jesus is saying, regardless of race, regardless of gender, regardless of ability or disability, regardless of your culture, your time in history, your employment status, your home ownership status, or even the number of followers you have on Instagram, your greatest need is the forgiveness of your sin. It is the human, universal human condition. It is the one thing that binds us all in this. And if you do not deal with it, then you're just fluffing around the edges. So the only place that this can be found is by putting your trust in the one who has the authority to forgive your sin. But not just the authority to forgive it, who was then going to be led into Jerusalem, willingly dying on a cross as your substitute to take the punishment for your sin on your behalf so that when you do put your trust in him, your sins have been paid for. The wages of sin is death. And so that death he died was on your behalf when you put your trust in him and his resurrection, you are to be raised to life again so your hope is not in this finite, mortal reality, but in the eternal existence with the eternal God in complete peace, healing, prosperity that you will never know in this life regardless of whether he says, get up, take your mat and go home or whether he says no. Your time will be in that next life. Regardless, your greatest need is to have your sin Forgiven, And the only one who can do that is the one who was worthy, who laid down his life on the cross. And here he is standing before everyone and declaring to the world that I am fully human, yes, but I am God. I am the Son of God. I am God the Son. And you must come to me for the forgiveness of your sin. My question to each of us 
is have you dealt with your sin? We all wear prison greens before God. We are all in the same place before God. We are all falling short of the mark. And we all need a substitute and we all need him to forgive us. A worthy substitute. He says, come to me, all you who are weary, and I will give you rest. Why? Because he will forgive your sin. So have you dealt with your sin? If you haven't done that, then you need to do that today. And I'm going to lead you through a prayer to do that. You need to hand your life over to him. You need to ask him for forgiveness. And you need to commit to him to follow him for the rest of your life. Because that is the only need that will bring you restoration to God and great hope and meaning, not just in this life, but in the life to come. So I'm going to pray that prayer now and it'll go something like this. It'll say, Dear Jesus, I acknowledge that I have sinned against you. Please forgive me. I acknowledge that you are the Lord of my life and I will follow you for the rest of my days. That's what the prayer will be and I'll give you some space in between each of that to say it in your hearts. And then if you do say that prayer today, I want you to come and see me after the service because it'll be great to journey the new life you have together. Dear Jesus, I acknowledge that I have sinned against you. Please forgive me. And I acknowledge that you are the Lord of my life. I will follow you for the rest of my days. Amen. As I said, if you have prayed that today, I'd like you to come and see me because we need to journey the new path together. And, uh, and we're going to... So I'll pray and then Luke and Jan will, will lead us in a final song. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that we come before you and there is no question as to who Jesus is. It has been laid bare before us. And I pray for those who may have prayed that prayer for the first time today, Lord, I pray that you will bless them with a life that knows you through your Holy Spirit more and more that as they journey in the word and prayer and in fellowship with others who follow you, that they will know a life that they have never known before. Father, I pray that you give them the courage to reveal who they are and come and see me afterwards because that's hard enough as it is. And Father God, I pray that you will bless each of us as we journey on this great path of following God the Son, the Son of God, our Lord Jesus Christ. And I pray this in his name. Amen. Amen.